When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast, as we're uh, delighted to be um, previewing a fixture again after last weekend's um, enforced postponements. Um, I'm your host, Chris Beasley, joined in the Echo office by my colleague, uh, Joe Thomas, who's who's come back from Finch Farm, and our regular guest, um, Gavin Buckland. So, afternoon, uh, to you both, I'll start with you, um, Joe. Uh, you've just been to see Frank at Lampard and um, been speaking about the postponements, and I think everyone's just glad to be getting out there back on the pitch again. Absolutely, Chris. I think so. I think it was a felt. I mean, obviously for perfectly understandable reasons, but it felt like a, a long week. I think without football, especially when we weren't entirely sure whether or not this weekend's game was going to take place as yeah. well. And I think obviously, whilst everybody can completely understand and have sympathy with the, with the context. Of all that, I imagine most people will be pleased to see football return. Yeah. Certainly, those of us who've got games this weekend, and obviously it's a it's a big one as yeah. well. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously seventh game of the Premier League season. Let's go into it. The return of David Moyes. There's all kinds of narratives, but yeah. probably one of the big ones is are Everton going to get their first win? Yeah. And um, you know, with the international break to follow, it feels like it's a game that could have a little bit of significance, really, in the sense that uh, you know, it'll, I imagine. Although Frank wouldn't like to admit it, yeah. and well, I'm not by any stretch of imagination going to say imagination going to say this is a must win for him because I don't think it is. But I imagine that the next fortnight will be a much different place if Everton secure three points compared to if they don't. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gav, uh, we didn't know when we were speaking last week. It could have been the possibility of a month off on the horizon. So at least this is an opportunity to get points on the board uh, before they go into that break. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we said we had this nightmare scenario. We get to the end of September and we've had no wins. I haven't played no games, probably comes into it, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I mean, I know the circumstances, obviously, but you've got to keep things in perspective. But it's given us, like a lot of teams, another fortnight to get our training tools right. I mean, Frank spoke, didn't he, quite encouragingly about the fitness of players who've not featured so far this season or. Uh, feature very little, so yeah, it it it's it's given us a, a good fortnight just to get a bit of momentum off the pitch, you know, integrate some new signings into the team, and um, I'm I'm with Joe. I'm not I'm not it's not a must win game, but in some respects, I think this game will dictate how we view the start of the season. Yeah, if we get if we get a win, it's a encouraging start so that we start off with two defeats and have now got a bit of momentum. If we if we draw, yeah, all right, we'll go with that. If we get beat, we're sort of not back to square one, but you know, some of the some of the feel good stuff that's been going around the club and fans over the last month will so sort of disappear to a degree. Yeah. Um, Joe, you spoke about that. Nobody is saying must win, but we've all sort of alluded here the importance of this. There's been some encouraging displays in difficult circumstances on and off the pitch. We've got to start picking up those points, getting those wins at some point. You have to. I think especially when you see the starts that other teams 
that perhaps we would have expected to be down the bottom end of the table over the course of this campaign. Of course, it's still very, very early, so they might be. But some of those other teams that I think Everton fans would have been looking at and thinking, well, I reckon those are the three, four, five teams that the Blues could probably finish ahead of this season as we came into the campaign. They've started better than you'd expect. Yeah. I mean, yeah, personally, I think Bournemouth are going to go down, but they still picked up two wins. Yeah, they're still there with six points out of Everton at, at the moment. I don't think they'll be there. And, and I don't I don't think they've had a better start to the campaign in Everton either, because I think actually, you know, they've shown to be quite fragile and although they have got the wins under the under the, under their belt, I, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to be able to be consistent over the course of the season. But you know, you perhaps look at the likes of Fulham, well, Mitrovic's scoring, so that was the big question going into their campaign. You look at Leeds, well, they've lost Calvin Phillips and, and, and um, Rafinha, mm-hmm. but they started the season positively. You look at Brentford, who such a well-run club that you probably thought they would put, there wouldn't be any danger this season, but they are proven once again how well-run they are. Mm-hmm. And you look at Southampton, obviously, the next game after West Ham for Everton is Southampton, and they've picked up a few useful wins as well. Now, of course doesn't mean to say that they're going to continue that form across the rest of the season or anything, but you, know, you just look at that and you just think, well, there's Everton and there's Leicester at the moment who haven't won a game in the Premier League and it would just take a lot of pressure off, I think, just getting that. I don't think it's a must-win game. Well, I think that, you know, that has been largely positive. Obviously, if, if Everton draw this weekend, then that's five games, five games unbeaten in the Premier League. Well, six if you include the Carabao Cup. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely progress, but obviously any progress of Everton has to be in the context of the progress made by other clubs yeah. and others are making progress as well. So, as well. so it almost becomes a case of who's making progress at a greater ratio. Uh, and I think everyone could do with a win just to kind of allay any fears that other people haven't got the head start. You know, Nottingham Forest, another club that, that didn't mention it, obviously you know, anything could happen with them and all yeah. the 150-odd million pounds that they've spent. But again, there's, there's, there's somebody who, well, they haven't started the season in a mess. Yeah. So so I, I don't think it's a must win. If Everton don't win it, I don't think it's panic stations or that Frank's under any, necessarily under any more pressure or anything like that. But I think everybody would go to bed a little bit easier on Sunday night and enjoy the next, you know, the two weeks that then follow a little bit more if, if obviously Everton have got three points on the board and you know, that probably push them up into mid-table. And yeah. you know, you're then looking at, Southampton, you know, another break for people to kind of carry on getting fitness and integrate and Southampton away, which would be a tricky tie, but isn't an impossible tie. You're not looking at that and thinking, oh, Everton can't get anything from it. So, yeah. and then it's similar with Man United and then the game after that, obviously they're improving, but you, know, you look at that and you think, you know, these next three games, these next three games, the first one probably does have to come from one of them. Yeah. Gav, does, does, does the way that the club is being viewed externally and the way that Evertonians are looking at it, not necessarily correlating, but I think we can all agree, as, as Joe has just said there, that it, it does give you that springboard then to come back after the international break if you've got that victory under your belt and uh, things are looking a lot more rosy then. Yeah, I think it's a view of those close to the club are unusually drinking out of a glass that's half full at the moment and those uh, people... On the outside, they're probably looking at it from a half-empty position, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, but to me, it's just, you know you know what? I think it's just about pro. It's, I know you've done a piece today, Joe, about recruitment off the pitch and, and, and that that uh, that angle. And to me, 
you can't divorce what's going on and off the pitch at the moment is you know two separate things like you've got to judge the playing side as like you know that that's a like sort of litmus test the way the club's going to me you have to judge both collectively the on and off the pitch in terms of the recruitment in terms of the players that we've released in terms of the type of players that we bought and there's obviously a plan there and to me we've got to get that right before we start doing stuff on the pitch and 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 the two things are linked inexorably for me and i i take encouragement and i think i think when we say the way we're looking at seven fans is we're taking encouragement from what's going on collectively, both on and off the pitch, aren't we? Mm-hmm. If, if if anything, we're taking more confidence about what's going off the pitch because, in many respects, that's what the the biggest criticism over the last two or three years about the club and the way it's run has been. That's where the criticism has been targeted, hasn't it? And nobody can dispute that. You know, certainly the summer transfer window and to a less sense, less extent the January transfer window have have been encouraging signs that the club's learning lessons off the pitch and, you know, with the, the recruitment of Dalwell and one or two others, we've now got a clear strategy and plan, as, as Joe pointed out in today's article. And, and that's where I get my encouragement from. And we're gradually seeing the impact of that and good coaching on the pitch. And I think once you get that base right, I think hopefully we'll start improving Based on you know some of the players you brought in settling in and having a having a you know a, a structured style of play. Well, one of the big issues, Joe, off off the pitch um, this summer it was dominated the, the latter weeks of the transfer deadline uh, transfer window. Was Anthony Gordon's mm-hmm. future? The manager was asked about Anthony um, today, and he um, and he confirmed that the talks are ongoing between Anthony's people and uh, um, the cl- the club and the hope of, of a new contract. To me, I think. Um, Anthony's deal runs till 2025 but in the same way Frank was eager to reward him with a number 10 shirt make him a big part of his plans this summer I mean they, that would be a reward for his progress and the fact that Anthony's still at the club Yeah it's crucial isn't it I think they've done Frank Lampard and everyone at Everton have done the first thing and they've managed to keep hold of him which they obviously viewed as being an incredibly important thing to do uh, and it's already you know his value to the team was never in question obviously it's, Everton are no doubt in a stronger place for having kept hold of him and um you know it's perfectly reasonable for you to think that or you know it'd be personally perfectly reasonable for you to think that Andy Gordon from the summer and from everything that he's shown so far so you're sitting there thinking well you know you're saying all these you want to keep hold of me well you're gonna to have to give me a little bit more money or something yeah. like that and I don't know where I don't know where the talks have come from yeah you know I think Everton may well have started those talks themselves or they did I would have expected them to if you know, Anthony Gordon's people have themselves. It's clear that what follows after that, you can't spend all summer saying how important he is, fighting off £45 million bids for him, and then go into the new season having um, secured his services for at least the next few months and and not expect to then be able to recompense him properly yeah. uh, with the contract. So I think it's completely expected. Hopefully something happens, which obviously timing isn't the issue. This contract, the current deal runs out till 2025, but... It is also important to make sure that bearing in mind how how highly valued Anthony Gordon clearly is to Frank Lampard and everybody else at the, at the club. You know, it's important to make it make him feel like you know that that followed up with tangible gains for himself. You know, 
hopefully they come to a deal and yeah, it seems perfectly reasonable that that would be the next step following what happened over the back end of the summer transfer window. I mean, Gav, uh, you went on record on, on the podcast. I mean, you, you thought that um, Gordon would actually leave in those, the last weeks of, of the the, um, the window when we had so much rumour flying around. I suppose the last thing Frank Lampard wants now is like a continuation of all that sort of drama again. He just wants things to settle down and Anthony, um, the old cliche, do his talking on the pitch. Did I say he'd leave? Can't. I must have been as close. Mm-hmm. I must have been like one of these foreign mm-hmm. players, you know, who does interviews on the international break and say they've been misquoted. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was uh, taken out of context there, Chris. I did say that um, <laughs> if, if the right bid come in, that I wouldn't. Yeah. Stop and move, and I probably did say that actually. I'm probably sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to, to be fair, it did look for a long time that he was going, didn't it? Um, yeah. And I think that the the, the, the financial side, the wages do two things. Don't the A, the recompense, them, and also B, it inflates his transfer value. Yeah. Uh, anyway, doesn't it? Because you know, it stops a club coming in with their low bids and saying, "Well, we're only bidding low for him because he's only on you know X amount a week." You know, you put on a bigger bigger weekly wage than that inflates his fee and justifies his fee even more. Yeah, well, I think we're just, you know, we're just, we're just preserving the transfer value as much as anything else, aren't we? You know, and in some respects, both the club and Anthony Gordon went out of that position. And, uh, yeah, I, I still think that, I think there may be... I wouldn't rule out that if he continues this season that gets the next summer and there's further incest or maybe even in, in January. I'd, I'd had somewhere today he had the third eye shots in the Premier League this season of any player. Well, I'm not sure. Yeah, seeing that. I think there's Mitrovic and one other. I think it's 15 attempts on goal, which is good going considering he's not really a bona fide striker, is he, really? Yeah, so, yeah, it just settles things down a little bit off the pitch. It just... Uh, you know, dots the I's and crosses the T's, doesn't it? Really, on his relationship with the club. So, I think it's a uh, it would be a good move to get it get it sorted as soon as. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I mean, someone who is a bona fide striker, Joe, uh, Dominic Carvert-Lewin, fit again. I mean, does he go straight back into the starting line? Oh, no, it's, it's a big call for Frank. I mean, maybe uh, tread carefully. He was asked about that again today. And obviously, there's the international break coming up. It's a really big call. I think whilst you know, Frank says he's happy about what happened over the summer transfer window, and, and I think we can all see the positives. I think it was a good window for Everton. They've Clear and you can't bear in mind how much Everton struggled last season to be competitive. Such a big change is needed that you can't really expect everything to be done in, in one transfer window. But yeah. if there is an area where Everton have perhaps left themselves a little bit vulnerable, it probably is with a striker, even with the signing of, of, of Neil Mope. It does feel that at least until January, anyway, the Everton's success is probably rely or the extent of Everton's success is probably reliant on Dominic Calvert Lewin coming back being fit, 
staying fit and scoring goals. We all hope he does that. Of course we do. So I think you know his comeback will need to be managed carefully. Yeah. It probably will. He's had an extra week after Liverpool because of you know the, the the game that was called off. So that would have helped him get back a little bit close to match fitness. And it probably helps that we then have the international break as yeah. well. So it's it's not as if it's not as if there's another game on Tuesday or Wednesday and, and then another game on Saturday yeah. or Sunday and you're thinking, can he go straight into this? But I think if the pass has taught us anything, we'd probably just he's too valuable to risk, I think. So I would be, and particularly with the way that Everton played against Liverpool, you know, they were a genuine attacking threat. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they played really well. And although they didn't score, they could so easily have scored a couple. So Neil Mopé, you know, he missed that chance. Obviously, Alisson saved it, but he still fit into Everton's structure and their game plan. And, and that was just obviously his first chance to, to play a match with those players, yeah. having you know, had the registration issues once, once he did sign. So I think... For me, it's the case of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He's too valuable to, to risk or put any undue stress on. And my inclination, as I say, backed up by how well Everton played attacking the against Liverpool would be to start with Mope, start with, with that kind of similar formation, and then you know hope to bring Dominic Calvert-Lewin on for the last 25 minutes, half an hour, and, and hopefully get a glimpse as to just where he is at, you know, get his confidence going with his fitness, and, and obviously give him a chance to get on the score sheet, which everybody, which every blue would want to see. So I think that's what I'd do. Does, Gav, does it concern you that we're talking in this way about Dominic Carvalho a couple of years ago? He was such a durable player, seemed to be able to depend on him. And now, you know, it's it, it, it stop starting, but there we are talking tentatively about using him. Yeah. Um, it's been going on, what, 18 months this? Something like that. Um, goes down back to the lockdown season, yeah. Because all of a sudden, you, you always think of Calvert Loon being a, like a young striker, don't you? You know, you know, because he came into the team quite young. I mean, I mean, to be fair, every manager's played him, haven't you? Really, even Koeman, yeah. even if a wing back, Ronald Koeman, yeah, 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 even if it was wing back, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, all the time can pass pretty quickly when you're a footballer, as in the rest of life, isn't it? And what is he now, 20, 25? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But so he should be reaching his peak years as a mature, mm-hmm. uh, complete, you know, footballer. And he's he's still, a ball player, yeah. Yeah, he still, he still, yeah, he still seems very much a work in progress, mm-hmm. um, not just due to his injuries. And before you, before you know it, you're 27, something like that, and... You know, you've got more behind you than what you've got in front at the top level. And that's the concern I've got, um, is that for whatever reason, his development has sort of plateaued, hasn't it? And um, I personally think he's very much, uh, I wouldn't say overrated. I think people tend to expect too much of him. I still think technically he's not as good as what he should be. And... um, and in terms of, and also as well, understanding how to play the striker's role, as we've mentioned many times before on the pod. Um, and, and so in that context, yeah, it's a bit concerning that at 25, he's, you know, another injury comes back and we can't guarantee that he won't get injured again, which is, I think, quite quite sad for the player and sad sad for the club, to be honest with you. 
because um, we could do with them on the pitch. Yeah. Couldn't we? Well, hopefully he is fit and firing. Uh, let, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed on that. I mean, the one area, Joe, where I suppose there is now, I wouldn't say an embarrassment of, of riches, but certainly uh, options, is, is, is the midfield, which we've not actually been able to say for a, for a long time, but, you know, with the recruits... Um, Adrissa Gay coming back to the, the club at the end of the transfer window and Garner as well. Um, he obviously hasn't featured um, yet. I mean, just how would you see that one setting up against West Ham? I mean, there are genuine options there for front one. There are genuine options. And I think that it will be his intention to play free in centre midfield as well. Particularly having stopped that position so highly, you think that he's going to go with the free rather yeah. than the two that he did use when... Whenever we were playing with five at the back at the beginning of the season, yeah. which I think was partly forced on him by injuries, but obviously Adrissa Gay is, you know, he will be, you know, fit and having, you know, the, the protracted nature of his transfer deal would have meant that, you know, even against Arsenal last week, he may well play, he may well have started, but he still would have been feeling the effects of, you know, the, the knock on effects of what happened to his pre season as a result of the transfer. But he'll be ready to go, I should think, on, on, on Sunday. James Garner is. Match fit, he's ready for yeah. the squad. Abdullah Decore is back as yeah, well. Decore, you know, you throw in Iwobi, who you know isn't a centre midfielder, but you miss Mr. Versatile. He's been brilliant in that position so far this season. And you even then look to to Tom Davis, yeah. who who I thought played well in the derby. You know, I think he's had a good good start to the season. Tom Davis, I think he's, he's done well when you know it's been you know when it's when it's been asked of him. Picked up a silly booking against Leeds, but other than that, he's he's he's, he's done a do, he's done a decent job. So yeah, there's, there's clearly options there. I think he'll I think he'll go the free. I think it'll be yeah. the same kind of formation that started against against Liverpool. You know that kind of four three three with the you know attacking forwards. Yeah. And uh, you know if that's put my money anywhere, I think well Wobie's probably first name on the team sheet. So I think with Pickford off um, injured, he's he's one of them. And you probably start Idris Gay and then you know maybe bring the Corey back in, depending on how confident he is in his fitness, or you could start Tom Davis again. Yeah, uh, Nana, of course, might be. No, I completely forgotten yeah. the, the the incredibly talented. There, about, there, there, there we go. Like, I mean, that's a complete mind slip there. Sorry. No. Yeah, well, he signed him out having to Anana. I mean, that's probably my freak. Uh, Idris Gay, Anana, and Awobi. I think. Yeah. I think that's that's probably where I'm starting it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, is that is that a uh, Bit unfair on Tom Davis, Gav. I mean, it just, just showing you that how um, ruthless it is now that, that you know the, the options are there in that department. Yeah, I was just thinking of the, the irony of Joe saying that Abobi is the first name on the team sheet. If you'd yeah. have said that eight months ago, you would <laughs> on the podcast, you probably yeah. all sorts of uh, you know stick. Yeah. Um, but rightly so, by the way. Yeah, I think Tom plays well in the derby, but I think the, the midfield we had at the end. Is probably, you know, probably our best. There's just a, a little observation about our midfield and a little critique is that I do like the three finish to the derby and I get what we want to do in terms of not conceding. So, it, you know, Frank is saying I'm going to put a three, a solid three in the midfield, um, which will help us defensively. The one observation I've got those three players, Garner Gay, Onana, and Iwobi, is quite a lot of their characteristics as players overlap in terms of what they do. Ideally, and, and I think this is where Frank is going in terms of recruitment, I, what you want in a, a properly balanced midfield, because I don't think that's balanced 
that three. It does the job off Frank Bond, but I don't think it's a balanced midfield. Is you want somebody who will sit deep for your six, who's good defensively, but is, can pass the ball around the pitch and control play. You want somebody who gets around the pitch, putting out fires and supporting the strikers. And, and you want you want a ten who, who, who can score goals and and you know is, is more of a more of a forward. Uh, and we haven't got the, those characteristics in in those those three players. I believe I'm not seeing much of Garner, but as in James Garner. But I believe if yeah. he comes in, then that will give us a better balanced midfield. We've got somebody who can pass the ball and um, you know is, is plays a bit further back. And 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 I think that's ideally that's where Frank's heading to. I think this three that we've got at the moment is fine in terms of what Frank wants us to do, maybe as a team. But I don't see that as a long term solution. I see a more a uh, more balanced uh, midfield with wider characteristics. And I think James Garner comes in, we may get that. And Zaccone actually does that as well because he thinks he's more effective going forward than, than the other three. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one Is in that. I still I like that three as a three, what we want to do at the moment. But I think going forward, I'd like to see a little bit more of a diverse midfield, with more diverse skills and attributes than, than, than what we have here. Um yeah, do, you, do you think Iwobi could do that job now? That's that what I'm thinking. That's, could do. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's beyond the realm. You know, if you said Garner, as in James Garner, Onana, and Iwobi, <laughs> yeah, could be. Well, a great score in Scrabble, but um, yes. a, B, I think that could be a, a, our best balanced midfield. Yeah. In terms of in terms of what you want from an ideally from a three. Mm-hmm. You know. Um people say, well, Liverpool have got a flat three, but Liverpool have got three I've had three strikers who all score 20, 30 goals a season. And yeah. um, so that that that's what that that's why they can get away with that, but we can't. Um and so I think um that, that's where I think we'll head towards, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the season if that's what our midfield is. Um, but as you say, we have got options, and that's good as well. In, in case of injury, you know, um, and uh, and and all, all three, you know, Anana. Then I think it's well, we've spoken about him. We think Anana is going to be a, a great player for us, and uh, he's always going to get a game. I think it will be at definitely playing playing further up front, and and they say get somebody at the back who can pass in front of the defence and shield the defence. That'll be you know as good as what we can get with the uh, the squad we've got in the middle. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, Joe, it shows you how far things have progressed in that area. And we've mentioned all those names now. And we've still not even mentioned Alan, who for a long time last season was one of the, the regulars in, in the side, in, in the midfield. It's interesting, there's been a bit of talk today that so, well, most of the European windows are closed now. Some of the ones in the Middle East are still open. There's been talk of himself and Salman Rondon, possible interest in the Middle East. I just wonder if we might see um, one or, or possibly both of those players even depart and go to yeah, I think there's a little bit to go yet before yeah. the transfer window closes in the United Arab Emirates, doesn't it, I think? So I think that's where the potential for the Middle East link could come now that the Qatari window is, is closed wow. so I mean obviously the, the Turkish window closed later <laughs> and we saw a little bit of late movement in relation to that didn't we so yeah really is fascinating to see the great chessboard of 
of, of you yeah. know modern football and, and the international dimension to it. I think that with Alan, yeah, I don't think he started since the the derby towards the back in the last the infamous season. Derby for the him. infamous one past derby. Yeah. So um and clearly Frank Lampard has mm-hmm. decided to make several moves in the transfer market to to strengthen the centre midfield. So you know, I, I don't think that necessarily there isn't a route back to you know, being a big part of Frank Lampard's plans for Frank. But I think he's got a lot of hard work to do. And, and I think, you know, the, the tide is possibly against him on that. I imagine that if, if genuine interest came in, probably the same with Rondon as well, that Everton would seriously consider that. Um, Alan's kind of time... His summer's been ruined by injuries, really. He's, you know, he's, he's struggled kind of since... Obviously, yeah, he had that red card against Newcastle. Yeah. Somewhat unfortunate, I think, really. Uh, and then, obviously, we had the game against Liverpool. Where he didn't necessarily have a bad game, even though those statistics get thrown at him. He was there to do a certain job. And yeah. for, you know, for an hour, Everton did that job very, very well and couldn't really have been one up by all. They could have had a penalty before then. Yeah. So, But it's, it, it looks like Lampard is building a side in which we're certainly not building it around Allen in midfield. Uh, unless it's just injuries have been holding him back, and I, and I don't think it quite is. I think, yeah. you know, I, I don't think he's a, a cornerstone of what Frank Lampard is trying to build. There. That doesn't mean to say that there isn't room for him. Obviously, he's a very talented player. We know yeah. that if he can get his fitness up and if he can show in training that you know he's he's an asset that Lampard should should use. Mm-hmm. Then I've got no doubt that Lampard would be happy to use him. But you know, he's. he's He's got a bit to do to get into that yeah. side, I think. Or you know, it's quite. We've mentioned all those players. You know, there's you know, free free centre midfielders. So there's plenty of spots up for grabs there. But there are plenty of players ahead of him at the moment, as yeah. we've seen from Everton's start to the season, and who you know, Frank Lampard has signed. So, you know, could he get back into starting lineup? I'm sure he could, but I think that you know, if any interest came in for him, if the player was happy to go, I'm sure Everton would sanction it. Yeah, I mean, Gav, they say, you know, a week is a long time in politics. What's a couple of years in, in football then? We think when Alan first came to the club, he was one of these. It, I mean, <clears throat> almost from the moment that Carlo Ancelotti came in, he was always being linked with Everton. It seemed that Ancelotti had targeted it. his signing, made him one of, one, one of his, his main men who, who he wanted to be. And ultimately, does he have to go down as being a, a disappointment or perhaps not even the, quite the player we envisaged he was going to be? Yeah, he's, he's another one though, isn't he? But he got a couple of injuries at inopportune times. I think during the lockdown season, he was pretty playing pretty well. Was it before Christmas he got injured? Yeah. And I think I don't know because of him as an individual or because of his age. He, he's one of them one of them players that when he comes back, he just looks still injured. He just took took to, you know what you get some players when they're injured and they come back and they're okay. But you get others like Alan and I think even DCL may fall into this category that. They still, they still take a long time getting fit, and I think that was um, one of the one of the um, things that has hampered them. They had, the, they had the great games at Leicester before Christmas in the, in the lockdown season. The really good game, but yeah. he come back then and he was not the same player. Yeah, well, this is well, this this goes back to recruitment, doesn't it? We recruited two or three players for financial plans, and you know that assuming he would stay and once he. Flew the nest. We were then left with the, the fallout, weren't we? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think. But how will history view Alan? 
probably the same way as if you've ever over the last two or three years at the moment, but by and large, a little bit of a, a disappointment. I think people thought we were getting a six, didn't we, when you see his build and stuff like that, but he's, yeah. he's more of an eight, isn't he? Um, and I think um, I, I do like him, and I do like him as a player. And he's doing well just to get one pass in the game, fuzzy, aren't you, really? Yeah. But, yeah, ultimately, I think he's been let down by his age and changing managers and stuff. Um, so, I, 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 I think... Unless he gets a game in the Carabao Cup, I can't really see him featuring forever in this season. Yeah. Um, um, a player of, of more advanced age, but no one who we're doubting that. Asmir Begovic, um, Joe. I mean, uh, we've talked about what a big blow it is to, to lose Pickford, but I suppose the saving grace is if you have got somebody to, to come in and be the understudy, then Begovic is one, one of the best in the business in terms of that. 255 Premier League appearances he's yeah. got there. So, you know, over, I think, about five different clubs that yeah. just, just in the Premier League alone. So, he kept a clean sheet at Fleetwood in the Carabao Cup earlier on this season. Last time he he started away at Arsenal, the last yeah. game of last season, but that was very much a hangover from the you know, the dramatic night against Crystal Palace. I don't think we can read too much into that. Obviously, the last game, that he, the last league game he played that meant anything was that Newcastle game. That, you know, we've already mentioned a couple of times for the Lance, um, you know, sending off and you know, obviously almost like the, the signal of the rebirth of Alex Awobi. Yeah. Uh, they've been cheating that and that was an important game. So, you know, Frank Lampard referred to it earlier today. So I think that he said, if we, I think if I give Asmir Begovic 30 minutes notice that he's about to start, he'd probably be fine, he'd be unfazed. Yeah. And, and that's probably the case. So, yeah, I think he's, you know, He's a, probably about as good a backup goalkeeper as Everton could hope to have, and I don't think anybody's got any doubts about his ability. So yeah, no, no qualms in that respect, Gav. But I suppose, given that he's the only keeper with Premier League experience currently available, I mean, the club did make a, a move this week to bring in uh, short-term recruit um, to provide cover. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to pronounce his name. Do it, Chris. I certainly couldn't spell it. I'm not, not, I'm not a goalkeeper I'm familiar with. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we said this. I think we spoke about this last week. I mean, we spoke about transfer business over the summer. And as it transpired, one of the more vital bits of business was extending Begovic's contact, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Proven Premier League performer, steady, has shown for us he can come and do, do a good job for, you know, at short notice, as Joe says. And uh, absolutely no qualms with Begovic. Um, Begovic playing for us. I, I would imagine if you went through the roster of 20 deputy goalkeepers in the Premier League, he'd be right near the top, wouldn't he? Yeah. In terms of combining talent and experience and he's, he's great in the dressing room, all that type of stuff, good pro, all that all that type of stuff. He'd be, he'd, be, he'd be in the top five, wouldn't he? Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no qualms and that. I'm sure he'll do a do a, a good job for us on 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 Sunday. Helped by the fact that we've now got a sound central defensive partnership and two two young and very promising, very capable fullbacks. Yeah. Well, if I may, Gav, I'll just stick with you before I go back to Joe because it segues quite nicely actually because there was a big Everton birthday boy today. Um, yeah. As as people say these days, the goat of goalkeepers, uh, Neville Southall, surely. I mean, you took to Twitter earlier today, Gav. Um, yeah. And, uh, um, yeah. He's like, what was it, at head and shoulders or something? Oh, yeah. Any other Everton player you've known? 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't see Alan. Well, my, my first Everton game was about Alan Ball left about four weeks beforehand, so uh, mm. I didn't see Alan Ball play. But I, I'm pretty confident. Well, I'd, I'd say that Neville, after Dixie Dean, is the greatest Everton player for his longevity as much as anything else. And for the fact that he's one of the few Everton players who regarded as being the best in their position in the world for a a significant period of the time, which he was from, ironically, Nev's best years were after he started winning, stopped winning trophies in the, in the mid-80s. Yeah. His best years were probably 88 to, to 91. I actually mm-hmm. first saw Nev, um, Belfield was by our school, and the first time I saw Nev was a couple of times riding a bike, and they had these massive pair, you know, the stuff you remember, they had these massive pair of white flared kecks, you know. Which in the early 80s was about as bad as what you get fashion-wise, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I saw them a lot of the reserves before they got on the first team, 81-82 season, when we had that absolutely unbelievable reserve team with like Ratcliffe and Sharp and Richardson, Gary Stevens all playing. And um, yeah, and he made a step against Dipswich, um, coming to short notice in that game in the morning, and he, he looked good. And, and then he he went on loan, and but when he came back in '83, it was just fantastic. I mean, I was there for all his great saves. I was there at Spurs the night the Falco header. Yeah, so one of the possibly the greatest single performance many haven't played in the way game of Coventry in September '88, which is shared quite a bit. Um, yeah. Where he was just unbelievable in that period. I saw him at West Ham in April 88. It was just like watching some sort of, you know, like some sort of like there's wizardry going on on the pitch. Yeah. So it's performance six. He was just, just unbelievable. And and Wales at Holland in 1988 in 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 Holland. Watched 90 minutes against Holland and Van Basten. It was just he was touched by he was touched by genius. And and he's one of the few people who's mentioned it to me mate this morning that. You, we all know how there's partisan people are around football, especially on Merseyside, and it's got worse over the years. Neville is one of the, the few players who commands enormous respect about, from both sides of Stanley Park. Mm-hmm. If you put something else about Southall on Twitter about some of the saves or what a great keeper is, you'll always get a few Liverpool fans who will respond and say, yeah. he's a great keeper. You know, because he was... He, he was he, well, he was. He was... I saw, I saw a list of great British goalkeepers the other week and he was third behind uh, I think it was behind Banks and Shilton I think right. um, but I put him at I put him at Pat Jennings as the, the best keeper I've seen with Nev um, and he was uh, I, I, there was a good point I remember John Giles saying about him that the great thing about Southall when he was at his peak in his late 80s was that he never shouted at defenders you know you saw like Shilton and Clements even in their peak years they don't settle defenders by shouting at them you know if they conceded the goal and you know finger pointing and waving their arms where Nev Nev was always like reasonably calm and that was a great uh, characteristic to have as a keeper I think and um, yeah he was um, by far <laughs> the greatest Everton player I've, I've ever seen and probably will say, and he's, you know, he's acknowledges the grace living Everton player, regardless of uh, anybody else. And um, we should cherish him because he was an absolute 100% genius. And um, it was just a privilege to watch him. You know, it was just, uh, it was just phenomenal. And, um, you know, I don't think he tried shipping him ch- ch- training, by the way, from what I've heard. I think uh, he may have found himself getting chased around Belfield. But uh, it was ridiculous. What just just go down? I know going off it because I love I love now. I yeah. Barry, he had to change separate to the strikers, didn't he? 
because because he's not all the speakers, confidence went, you know. And the, the stories of him at Everton, isn't there? He used to tie his hands behind his back, didn't he? And in training, and he's still he's still block, he's still yeah. you know block more than what he let in, you know. He's just yeah. And I hope uh, you know Bramley Moore there will be a, a statue for him because I think he um, he deserves it, doesn't he? As um, certainly one of our three greatest ever players. Yeah, well, I think when, he, when, he, when he's 65 next year, I think me and you got better do a, a Neville Southall podcast just on, on our own, I think. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I saw virtually all his games, you know, and um, it, it was quite from quite early on, you, you knew he was you knew he was good, you know, yeah. but he came better than what you were, would, could ever, ever anticipate. So if we go back to the present day, Joe, <laughs> um, this weekend, Sunday, it's, pre- it's, predict- it's prediction time. You said it's not quite a must win for Everton, but are they going to win? Yes, yeah, they're going to win, uh, and I'm going to say they're going to win 2-0. Yeah, very good, yeah. Gav? I'm, I'm going to go with Joe. Funny season, West Ham, haven't mm. they? have struggled in the league. They've been good in Europe, and now they've been unlucky in a few games, and they've, yeah. they've spent a lot of money in the transfer window, and players are not really familiar with. Um, I'm going to go with Joe. I'm going to go with a 2-0 win for the Mighty Blues. Chris, before you two even spoke, I was, I was going to say the same, so should I actually? <laughs> yeah, so you can. Go on, Chris, make it three. Yeah. I, I, you, well, knowing that I was going to go with two nil, I'll say actually one nil Everton. I'll complete the you know the, the clean sheet there, the hat trick of positive predictions. But just to be a bit different, I say maybe only one nil for Everton. No. And I'm just about to lose my voice anyway, so I think we better wrap up quickly. So um, it's been the Royal Blue Podcast. I've been your host Chris Bees. I've been joined by Joe Thomas, um, Gavin Buckland, and we'll be back with you uh, next week to. Uh, to review Everton's game with West Ham United and look forward to the international break. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.